Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. These pounds, pounds. Another episode of Sheologians. We are here today to put the she in reconciliation. <laughs> My name is Summer. Summer Jaeger. Jaeger means hunter in German. Um, there's a part of me that feels like maybe we need to like regroup and like have a meeting about our she's and hers. Am I in trouble? <laughs> Wait, what did I do? <laughs> What did you do? Reconciliation. Yeah. Obvi- it's the obvious choice. Reconciliation. Oh! <laughs> it, I mean, does it really matter? I don't know. At this point, does it really matter? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. <laughs> right. Let's see how many she's we can get just into one word. I can't keep going. Okay. Rec- okay. Um, hi, my name okay. is Summer Yeager. I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy, to talk about some statements today. And Joy, the statement I want to make about you is that... I like that. Other than my own, to be completely honest, I have never been more excited for a wedding. Oh. Other than my I mean... Right. Because my husband's listening. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. No, I meant it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's exciting. Very, very exciting things. Um, and you're right. I am Joy, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Summer. And this, mm. this is one of those compliments that hopefully you just understand why it's a compliment. I will, for sure. One time you called me a taco with salsa, and I got it. Um, and also, I have this fear that I've already used it. Oh, I doubt I'll remember. Because it just seems like something I would do. It can't be the first time I've thought of doing this. Okay, well, this is our 3,452nd episode, so right. it's okay if we forget some right. things. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys remember the 666th episode? Oh, <sighs> oof, that was a doozy. Woo. Beastly, one might say. Oh. <laughs> the um, actual correct translation is 616 for the Mark of the Beast, though. Just so you guys know. That was also a great episode. <laughs> 616? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that was good. Yeah. Um, but if I was going to spend the night in a haunted house, I would want it to be with you. Yes. That would be so much fun. I feel like we should do that. Yeah. Do you know where one is? I think they're just supposed to be all over the place. I feel like they're just like around Halloween when people like decorate a house and they charge you $20 and then they scare you. See, the thing is, is if haunted was real, like everywhere would be haunted, right? Right. Am I right? Yes. Like how come new houses don't aren't haunted? Right. And there's like no, like all ghosts are like old timey. They're all old timey because... The 1800s is as far back in history as any of us can think. When you die and become a ghost, they just like hand you some colonial clothes. <laughs> and they're like, here, put this on. We haven't gotten anything newer Make looking sure yet. Make sure to speak in old English. Don't forget your top hat. Mm-hmm. It's 
very and important. like look off wistfully yeah <laughs> just like look out windows walk and... down a lot of hallways right yeah if anyone sees you just disappear really quick <laughs> Make sure they don't get you on camera until ghost hunters come. Right. Or if they do, it's just like a lens flare or like a little yeah. particle of dust. It's yeah. kind of what it looks like. Yeah. There's whole TV shows about this. There's also There's a TV rules. show called Finding Bigfoot, which it ended. And guess what? They never found they him. They just never find him. They he, never found him. That I, rascal. That was a bad title for a show, honestly. Finding Bigfoot. Y'all never found him. Right. How Liars. How your show be over if you've never found <laughs> Your last episode should have been Bigfoot found. Right. Like, right? Yeah. No, you can't call it finding Bigfoot Bigfoot if you never find him. Right. This is a lie. Anyway, how did we get here? Um, I hey. mean, I feel like uh, Bigfoot searchers also think that to themselves <laughs> occasionally. How have we never found him? How did we get here? How did we get here? <laughs> I don't even know. That's like the other morning. It was, I don't know. 5.30 in the morning and I was trying to be studious and get up early, you know, for homeschool and like get some work done or whatever. And then I ended up watching this crazy guy on YouTube for about a half an hour. And he was like talking about how like we get our idea of like Marvel movies from the Nephilim because the Nephilim are mm. real. And also the Nephilim are injecting their DNA into vaccinations. This was all based off of like Matthew Matthew 24 or something. And oh, like, of course. Yes. Yeah. I've seen, did you, seen that did you in catch there. That? Mm -hmm. And China is prepared for aliens. Yeah, vaccination. That's in their Bible. Obviously, he's flat earth. I didn't have to say that. Well, of course. And I mean, it was just really. How the Nephilim can't live on a round earth. No, obviously. <laughs> but I thought they were hiding inside the hollow earth. So I just don't even, I don't know. I was just trying to like understand how someone could use scripture to get to these places. Like I really wanted to try to understand, but I don't understand. I do have an answer to that question. Tell me. By seriously misreading yeah. it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> By seriously misreading. I mean, don't tell me hermeneutics aren't important <laughs> because wow. Wow. My, my husband told me that. Like, there are people who think that the locusts in Revelation are Apache helicopters. What? That's true. <laughs> yes. She's like, yep, they are. They're totally mm -hmm. Apache helicopters. God told me that. Oh. Ew. That hurt to say. Don't say that. I'm not going to. Painful. Cut um, that out. Cut it. It was a bad joke. Okay, so listen. Uh, what are we talking about today? We are talking about social justice today. We have spent a lot of time trying to be helpful in this mm -hmm. area. And uh, if you don't find us helpful in this area, um, it's probably because you really disagree with us right. <laughs> in this area. And um, there was a statement put out this week called social justice and the gospel that we do find very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. And essentially in the, I'm still looking for a better word than aftermath. Wake. These are all too intense since the posting of said statement, right. which we have signed. Um, there's been a lot of talk about social justice and I feel like it's kind of just reaching this fever pitch where we are all kind of talking past each other. Um, and so I wanted to, I wanted us to have the opportunity to speak to one of the framers 
who helped uh, put this statement together to kind of help us think through it. Why is this statement necessary? What's trying to be accomplished with it? Um, what do we kind of do next uh, in the church with this issue? It's not going away anytime soon. So let's get comfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think both sides of the issue are talking a lot about loving God and loving neighbor. So how do we love God, love neighbor biblically? The statement outlines that. Yes. Um, and so we have a very special guest joining us, Dr. Tom Askell. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, I'm glad to be with you, Summer and Joy. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, sir. I have so many friends who are going to be so jealous that we got to interview you and talk to you. <laughs> I know this is big time. It is. And my dad has just, you know, it's funny because I, he's kind of just always talked to me about like what's going on in his life and like these names will fly by or whatever. And when I started like really following Founders Ministries, I was like, oh, I've heard of this guy before because my dad would have just like mentioned you in passing <laughs> and I got to put that together. <laughs> Yeah, that's fun. I've known your dad for a long time. In fact, I think I may have met you when you were just a wee one. Oh, I I (laughs) I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably that happened somewhere. Yes. Yes. Um, So just tell us real quickly before we get into the the meat and potatoes, um, who are you and what do you do? Well, I pastor the Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Been here for 32 years and I, I'm married to Donna. We've been married for 38 years. We have six kids, nine grandkids. Wow. And, that, and I am, I'm the executive director of uh, Founders Ministries as well. Well, praise God for that. That's a lot of grandkids. I always love when we have pastors on and pastors that like have these amazing educations and all this experience. And they're always like, but first... My wife, yes, my kids, and my grandkids. Yeah, well, that's what's most important. That's definitely true. Right. That's right. Um, that's awesome. So, what is Founders Ministry? Just really quickly, introduce us to that. Yeah. Well, this is a ministry that began uh, in 1982. Actually, it was in a prayer meeting. There were seven men who got together. We were all inerrantists. These were the early days of the inerrancy debate controversy battle in the SBC. And so we got together and realized, or we had realized uh, over the years that inerrancy, as important as it is, isn't enough. That at some point we're going to have to deal with what the inerrant scriptures actually teach. Mm-hmm. All of us were committed to the uh, doctrines of grace. We discovered this was the historic theological foundation of the Southern Baptist Convention and many Baptists beyond that. So we got together and spent a day in prayer and reading scripture, singing, just asking God what, if anything, we should do. Out of that came a commitment to hold a conference. We did that and began to hold annual conferences. Uh, from there, we've developed um, journal and publishing books, uh, mm-hmm. an online presence, theological training center online that works in conjunction with different seminaries. And it's just kind of expanded over the years. Uh, we're committed to the recovery of the gospel and to biblical renewal of local churches. Mm-hmm. And it's real simple. We don't have any kind of political agenda. We just want to help pastors and church leaders come to understand more clearly what the gospel is, how it works, and uh, what constitutes spiritual doctrinal health in local churches. Excellent. 
All right. So you guys for sure check out the Founders Ministry. You have a yes. new book out that um, I'm going to steal from my dad when I see him later. <laughs> um, and I'm excited to read it. So anyway, we have you here today because the there's a statement that came out. <laughs> and um, I think that it has a lot to do with kind of what Joy and I have been talking about for the last year and some change. Um, we have been really involved in wanting to discuss intersectionality and critical theories. Uh, but more than that, this statement is about social justice and the gospel. And am I right? You you had a hand in all of this, correct? Uh, yes, I did. It was a collaborative effort and I was involved. Okay. So can you kind of just give me um, a little bit of a rundown? Pretend I have never read this statement. What is it about? Well, the statement is in response to uh, movements that we see taking place in the evangelical world that we're concerned about. We're, we're not convinced or they're fully healthy. Uh, in fact, we think some of them are very dangerous. Uh, if the agendas of some of the proponents of these ideas and ideologies that we have identified are successful, then the gospel will be undermined because uh, though it may be inadvertent, the way that certain arguments are being framed will necessarily require a different definition of the gospel than that which we have had handed down to us through Protestant uh, evangelical orthodoxy. So because of that, we felt compelled to issue this statement to make our understanding as clear as possible and put it out there in the public forum in hopes that we can begin to have some productive conversations because, as you know, most of the conversations about these issues have either been acrimonious or uh, people talk past one another. Mm -hmm. So our concerns are, yeah, there certainly are matters of justice and mercy that every Christian ought to be concerned about and, and engaged in. The scripture teaches that. But we must not confuse those things with the gospel. The gospel is a message it's the revelation of what God's done in Christ. And the way we teach it in our church is it's all about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and why that matters. And if you take those three questions and go to the Bible to look for answers, you will come up with a, a, a pretty good understanding of and definition of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So we want to protect that. And I mean, that's been a burden of my life and ministry from the time I began in pastoral ministry. And I just hate to see good men and good institutions, I think inadvertently, but nevertheless, undermine the simplicity of the gospel by adding on all these other things, making everything a gospel issue. And mm -hmm. the gospel includes all of these other matters. No, it doesn't. The gospel is about Christ, who he is, what he's done, why that matters. And we must turn from sin and trust him if we're going to be reconciled to God. And that's... That's it. Now, the Christian life includes all kinds of responsibilities and uh, calls and uh, opportunities. And we can talk about those, but let's don't confuse those obligations with the gospel, which is a message of good news of what God's done for sinners in his son. Absolutely. Amen to that. Seriously. <laughs> um, so what would you say? What would you say the definitional problem is because I think as I kind of discuss social justice with people part of the problem is the battle for the dictionary um, right the battle for well what makes something a gospel issue what is justice 
Um, but a lot of the times when we are discussing reconciliation, for example, what is racial reconciliation? What does that look like? It, like you mentioned, it does feel like we are speaking past each other. So I feel like, okay, the statement is going to be helpful and that it, it defines terms. It defines what we're saying. It says, this is what we believe. This is where we think we should be headed. Um, but what do you think the root difference is between someone who would read the statement and sign it and someone who would read it and, and disagree with it? Why are, why are these two camps of evangelicals so different? Well, I'm not sure that I'm competent to answer that question. Uh, certainly not sufficiently for, for everyone who would have an opinion on it. I'm sure there's a myriad of reasons people would not sign the document. But I do think that uh, for those of us who uh, share common confessional commitments, at least in a formal way, some would not be happy about this document because I, I think they would see it as being uh, <clears throat> maybe tone deaf or not sensitive enough to some of the cultural realities mm. that people are dealing with. Uh, this, this would be true in three main areas, which is what we address in the document. Racial issues, uh, the, the sexual issues of men and women and distinctiveness and roles, and then sexual issues in terms of homosexuality. And we want to be clear. We want to be careful. We, racism is abominable, and uh, we deplore it. We renounce it in the statement. And uh, yet, having said that, some of the things that are being proposed to uh, address and overcome racism, we think, are have deviated from Scripture. And that would be true also with the men-women issue. Certainly, misogyny is horrible, and the oppression of women has happened, happens today in different places around the world, as does racism today. But some of the solutions that are being proposed to that, to elevate women to the highest levels of leadership and authority in churches, well, that goes against what we understand the Bible to teach as well. The same thing is true with homosexuality. It's no doubt that homosexuals have been mistreated and abused in our own country and, and sometimes in the name of Christianity. No doubt about that. But the solution to that is, this, or some of the solutions being proposed are, are worse in many respects than the very things they're trying to cure. Mm. So for us, it, th this ultimately boils down to a, a question of the authority and the sufficiency of God's word as Holy Scripture. It, are we going to get our marching orders from Scripture? Is the Bible enough to tell us how to deal with tensions between ethnicities? Uh, mm -hmm. Is the Bible enough to tell us how to deal with men and women and role responsibilities? Is the Bible enough to tell us how to deal with the questions that the homosexual community are bringing up and some of the agendas they're pushing. Mm -hmm. And we believe that the answer is yes, the scripture is enough. It's not always popular. In fact, it's becoming increasingly unpopular mm -hmm. to say what the Bible says, but we don't think there's any other recourse for those who are slaves to Jesus Christ. And so that's our, that's our hope and goal is we can highlight these things because there seem to be some hermeneutical uh, principles in operation that if they are followed consistently, 
it, it's going to be a, a train wreck. It's going to take us exactly where liberalism took us, but mm. the people going there and leading the way aren't true liberals. Right. What can you give give me an example of what you mean by that? Like a, a hermeneutical principle that ends in a train wreck. Yeah, there's um, there is a, a hermeneutic that is uh, sometimes popularly been called the trajectory hermeneutic that basically says, okay, you know, the the, the New Testament doesn't actually uh, overthrow slavery or condemn slavery. As evil, but Paul did the best that he could given the Roman circumstances, and so we today live in a society that's much more free. So we are able to have a higher ethic about slavery. We are able to say slavery is evil always, where Paul wasn't free to say that. And so our circumstances have changed such that we're on a trajectory now that we can actually have a higher ethic than Paul had about slavery. And um, it's a deadly, dangerous argument, but it's the exact same perspective and, and uh, hermeneutic that leads to the argument for women pastors, that mm-hmm. leads to the argument for homosexual Christians. Mm-hmm. And that has not been formally adopted by a lot of evangelicals, but some have, and it's been uh, proposed. I forget the gentleman's name, wrote a book about 15 years ago now, just his name just escapes me. But he actually argued for it very formally. But I think that that in many respects, his hermeneutic is winning the day in certain sectors of the evangelical world. Because if you just were to bring up the question of slavery today and say, well, you know, slavery is not always evil. Mm-hmm. That'll that'll get you thrown out of a lot of evangelical circles right there. Right. But if you say it's always evil, then you're going to have to do something with the New Testament passages that that don't declare evil, right? When it could have easily been done so, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, I know. I uh, <laughs> my pastor, bless his heart, had to do a, a sermon on slavery when we were going uh, through First Peter, and <laughs> wow, well, you that's... felt for him. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, this is my yeah. pastor. <laughs> well, I, you know, I preached three sermons on Philemon a couple of months ago, mm. and just made the point. So look, you know, Paul here, look at the things he says about Philemon, who was a slave owner, who owned other people as property. Right. And yet he commends him as such a wonderful, you know, godly, faithful, big-hearted Christian. Right. Well, you know, where are the people today that are willing to say that about slaveholders? Today, we look back on people who own slaves, and we want there are folks saying they couldn't have been Christians. Right. Right. Well, and we do have to make... <laughs> It, it is part, I think we talk about this a lot when we're discussing feminism, is that a lot of dealing with issues within feminism is understanding history. Or, and not right. having an understanding of, of history in different time periods leads to all kinds of problems, especially for Christians when we are attempting to understand God's word, which is also an ancient text. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, I think we kind of import our idea of slavery in America into slavery in the Roman world, slavery in Israel, um, whereas they were all very different things. Um, And so that is, that's a tough one for me to even try to go into right now. (laughs) But I see, I understand what you're saying, especially with the the issue with women, women pastors, is I hear a lot of that trajectory 
trajectory hermeneutic that you were talking about where it's like, well, mm-hmm. Paul did the best that he could for his time. Um, when in reality, if you understand what, what Paul was saying, he was actually very countercultural to his time when he spoke of yeah, relationships exactly. between right. men and women. I mean, yeah, exactly. what he had to say was revolutionary uh, <laughs> in comparison to what was actually going on in that time. And we've talked about that before, but. Right. Well, it's 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 interesting because the statement isn't just, of course, the primary focus of the statement is to um, basically, um, I mean, not that you need to defend the scriptures, but the idea is that so so our response to what you're saying is the scripture is correct right. and infallible. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also dealing with uh, a lot of the poor critical thinking that we see in our uh you know, in our current culture, and it's largely based off of experience. So, so in order to know something, we in our current day and age, we just tap into what we know, what we learned in high school about history, <laughs> what we, and then from there, we create this, this uh, doctrine. Mm-hmm. And because it comes from us, and mm-hmm. our society says, well, whatever comes from you is infallible, right? And true, however you feel. Um, and so, so to me, the statement, it, it's incredibly important, uh, even just for for our time. Like we talk about people talking past each other, and I think largely that's because of things like social media. We we're engaging in this way that allows you to speak past a person and not really, really engage with them and really care what they have to say. Um, yep. I just I think that I think it concise. I mean, like a, a, a clarified statement mm-hmm. that people can read through if even if they don't like it mm-hmm. <laughs> right. it, it's it's a response it's 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 our way of saying okay well you said that but here's what i believe here's this yeah yeah, yeah. This yeah is i agree with that and one of the things i've thought about is is would this statement have been controversial 25 years ago right right yeah i, I don't think it would have been right because there's not anything revolutionary in here Right. There's just some old things that we want to make sure uh, don't get passed over that we still believe. And, and we think all Christians should still believe. Right. Right. Well, yeah. Talk a little bit more about the heart, I guess, behind it. Yeah. Um, is it just because the SBC loves making like long lists of rules and <laughs> like, you know, singing from hymnals or what's. I mean, I mean, hey, come don't on, be doctor. On my SBC now, okay? Are you are you against why are you against social justice? OK, can you explain yeah. that? That's right. I don't love people. That's why. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, the burden of it for me, and I think I can speak for the other uh, folks who helped frame this, is uh, I, I really am concerned for the gospel. I mean, I want to contend for and defend the gospel. And that, that has been a burden. That's what Founders Ministries is about. It's why we came into existence. And for so long, I spent about a year, year and a half trying to study these things. I'm listening to people that I've known and trusted for years and people I've had great respect for. And it just seems like more and more they're saying things or letting things be said and applauding things that are being said that in my mind are, are subtly undermining the gospel. That if they're true and if, and if the agendas being set forth are actually successful, then this simple gospel of Jesus Christ that I know and have staked my life on is going to be undermined. And that's the motivation behind it. We want to 
contend for and defend the gospel of God's grace in Christ. Which is a very loving act because that's what God uses to save that's right. people and draw exactly. him to himself. Yeah, that's right. Now, okay, I have one more question for you and then I'm going to let you go. And this one is really important. Um, can you please, I want you to put on your pastoral hat and can you give us some advice moving forward as we kind of, I think just in the aftermath uh, discussion around this statement, I think there's going to be just a lot of noise. I think there's going to be a lot of talking. I think there's going to be a lot of articles and you know we're not going to be the only podcast to talk about this um can you just give us and our listeners some pastoral advice especially since a lot of us will be having this conversation in print in social media in Mm -hmm. writing give us some advice on moving forward in this time because you know a lot of people that we disagree with are our brothers and sisters in christ absolutely and uh we're going to be spending eternity with them and um So what would you say to us in this conversation moving forward? Well, one thing is that uh, we ought to all try to avoid straw men arguments. We ought to to try to listen and understand and respond to the very best arguments of those that we disagree with. You know, they're they're nutcases on both sides of any kind of debate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there are people who make extreme arguments and we don't need to just focus on those and feel like we've accomplished something we demolish that we ought to listen to the best and try to give them the benefit of the doubt i mean we owe that we owe we owe love to our brothers and sisters and so even if we strongly disagree with them we cannot let our let our disagreements trump the responsibility to love them so love requires that we genuinely try to understand but we need to speak plainly too we don't need to pull punches we don't need to sugarcoat the concerns that we have, you know, faithful of the wounds of a friend. And we need to be willing to speak words that, though they might be hurtful, and I'd have no doubt that some of the things that we are saying are being hurtful, and I don't take any pleasure in that. But it, it's not simply to inflict pain and hurt. It, it's to try to be clear in our statements and uh, in, to point out the dangers that we see. I think, too, we have got to try to filter through all of the noise because mm-hmm. everybody in the world has a platform today. Mm-hmm. And and most folks that want to seize those platforms are not worth listening to. Mm. And I, I don't want to sound arrogant about that, but there are just some people that have not thought very deeply about these things, and yet they make the loudest noises. Mm-hmm. And some of them have been given platforms by those who should know better to uh, continue making that noise. And so I I want to try to filter that out and not listen to that. And again, try to take the very best spokesmen that are advocating positions different from me and listen to them. And if, if I'm wrong, I want to be convinced. And if somebody can help me see what I don't see, mm. then praise God. I've been wrong about stuff before. Right. And so, you know, it's not going to be the first time and it'll be a, a, a blessing. They will serve me if they can help me see it. Amen. But we've, we've got to be willing to press the arguments biblically. I, I like the, the phrase I use a lot is being, being biblically ruthless with one another so that we take the scriptures and we apply it as carefully, consistently, stringently as we can and help each other to come to understand 
more clearly than perhaps we would have been able to uh, without those kinds of intense conversations. Yeah. Iron sharpening iron is not like a gentle process. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> One other thing, let me, let me say this too. It is easy and with social media, especially you know, you're connected to everybody everywhere and it's easy to, to begin to think that that's the main world. And uh, one of the things that, that helps me and I take a great deal of comfort in is remembering that, that I am a part of this local body of believers. And I love Christians that I have never seen their face, probably will not before heaven. And God's, uh, it's, it's been a blessing to be able to be connected with believers around the world through the new media. Praise God for that. Mm-hmm. But my responsibilities and, and my investment is in my local church. And so I, I cannot forget that, and I can't let anything that might be uh, drawing my attentions and energies beyond the local church to sap my commitments and priorities to the local church. And so I, I derive great comfort and great encouragement by regularly uh, being with the brothers and sisters that God has uh, made me a covenant member with here at Grace. And I would encourage every Christian to remember that. Amen. Yes, the importance of the local body cannot really be uh, overstated, I think, in our, in our social media time. So thank you for that. That is some pastoral advice I oh, think yeah. we all need to be reminded of yes. all the time. <laughs> all right. Well, Dr. Askell, it was a blessing to be connected to you through social media today. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much, ladies. Appreciate what y'all are doing. Thank you. And um, hey, I'm going to go read your book. Okay, very good. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, all right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, that was awesome. Better than I thought it'd be. I consider that. I knew it was going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I consider, yeah, I knew it would be great. Um, It's definitely a blessing. Yeah. Founders Ministry is a huge blessing. The people who are part of it, um, Dr. Askell, for sure. I've learned a lot from just reading what he writes. Um, and yeah, I'm just really encouraged cause I do think, I don't know, like sometimes I have this problem with, uh, trying to hold the tension between speaking clearly and strongly and knowing that those, that things need to be clear and strong and understanding at the same time that some people's feelings might get hurt. Um, but doing it for the right reasons anyway, um, saying what needs to be said and wanting to love people who disagree with me. Like you can, I don't, and I don't know, I don't know. I think that, uh, his point about social media is really important to understand and, um, about being effective communicators within the church and within our own body. But also, I mean, you and I put out content. That's what we do. Right. We put it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that just having an understanding of of being gracious, grace upon grace in this time and for these conversations is important. But I also think that when he was saying how um, a lot of the social justice conversation is dangerous and contains a different definition of the gospel is true and yeah. that we should be willing to speak strongly into that right and so this like a worldly doctrine attempting to 
infiltrate and sort of absorb mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. correct doctrine mm-hmm. is something you you can absolutely take seriously. And I'm, when I say that, it's not a license to be mean. Everyone on all sides, if you call yourself a Christian, should should always be attempting to improve your reasonableness um, and how you talk with people. Yeah. It just, yeah, we've said it a million times. There's mm-hmm. there's so many things out there on social media etiquette. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We can all just know a little bit more about what we think and yeah. also know a little bit more that we're not the center of the universe and humble ourselves. Right. I think- but I appreciate a statement like this. It, it is a good, this is, and this is what you see in response to worldly doctrine. Yes. Creeping in to the church. This right. is, this has been happening we, forever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's a good thing. <laughs> yes. And uh, I think that like, like you said, like the first creeds that we see, um, mm-hmm. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, right. these were all in response to these worldly wrong ideas mm-hmm. being imbibed by people in the church to, to course correct. Right. And I do think this needs to be course corrected. I do think that we need to be gracious to our brothers and sisters in Christ and believe the best. But I also don't think when someone is saying something that is that is anti-biblical, right. that that's really not the time to assume the best. It's time to lovingly correct. Right. So anyway, that's it for this week. Mm-hmm. That's it for this week. Um, be sure to like and share this episode. If it was encouraging to you, go read the statement. It's available now. We will link to it in the show notes. And um, yeah, that's it. We will see you guys next week. See ya. See ya.